podcast. If you give a dead person a winning multi-million dollar lottery ticket, how likely is he or she to cash it in? Maybe not today. What about tomorrow? Next week? Lead teacher Randy Pope starts a new section of the series, A Glorious Grace, with the first part of a message entitled, The Doctrines of Grace. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Now we're going to be moving into the teaching of this uh, series again. We're in the series that's on glorious, a glorious grace. Uh, we're winding down, coming close to the end. In fact, I'll introduce it in just a moment after I pray, but I'm going to be actually beginning the first of three parts of a message that will now end this whole series on grace. I think one of the most important aspects of the entire teaching of grace, as I think you're going to see. So let's pr pray now, let's prepare our hearts, and let's ask God that he would teach us, okay? Our Father in heaven, we come to you now and we say, please, you be our teacher. We're a, a people here of Perimeter who embrace your word. We're, uh, we're among many guests that come, not so sure. Many guests that are still trying to figure out the faith we call Christianity. Regardless of where we are, we pray our God that we might have a sense that we've heard from you and what we hear is truth from your word. Father, I'm convinced our lives and even the generation that follows us will be greatly transformed because of this great truth that we look at this day. So would you be our teacher? Open our minds and open our hearts, we pray. In the great name of Christ our Savior, amen. We are in the, uh, the series. We've had actually four sub-series making up the entire series on grace. This has been a long, long series. In doing so, we've talked about foundations of grace, expressions of grace, and then because of our all-in, we wanted to, to tag our generosity to grace. And now we're in a series, a sub-series, the last one, that deals with what we're going to be calling the sovereignty of grace. Jeff, last week, he taught on the throne of grace. When you think about the throne, you think about authority, the one that's in charge. That's the sovereignty of God. And now, these three weeks that will finish the series, we've left to the very end what we call the doctrines of grace. Now, some of you who are more familiar in theological circles and, and depth of, of teaching of God's Word, you hear that, you understand. Many others don't. The doctrines of grace, doctrine means set of beliefs. They're the set of beliefs about grace, which is saying, let's take the most important aspects of grace and let's try to put it into an understanding where people can take and embrace this whole understanding of God's sovereignty and who he is. And we call those the doctrines of grace. So as we look at this, I cannot imagine what some of you might be thinking right now. Some of you saying, you know what, you're always teaching this deep stuff here and you're always getting into the heavy, you know, uh, doctrines. 
I don't need to hear about doctrines. What I need is something consoling and comforting. And uh, right now, I'm just in a need for a, a little sweet word. Let me tell you, folks, there is no sweeter word than the doctrines of grace. If you think that's impractical because they're doctrines, maybe boring because they're doctrines, you could not be further from the truth, I promise you. The importance. The importance of these doctrines. One of my kids a few years ago when we were on vacation, we were, were all adult children now and families, and so we're having a, a little time at night and we would just rotate around and who wanted to lead the devotions. And so this person would lead this person. One of our children was leading the devotion that night. And they asked a question. And they said, if you, could, if you could ask God for anything to change in your own life over the next 12 to 24 months, what would you ask God to do? That's a great question. We all had a little time to think about it. When it came to my time to respond, this is what I said. I would pray that God would give me deep conviction, deeper than I've ever known, about God's love and God's sovereignty. If I have those two, if I can walk through life totally convinced, absolutely convinced that God is in charge, he rules, and that he cares about me. I'm, I'm doing good. See, if God, if he's in charge, but he doesn't care, I'm in trouble. If he cares, but he's not in charge, I'm equal trouble. God give me both. That's what you'll understand in the doctrines of grace. His care and his sovereignty. His authority, his capability. Number two, the, the question of of its difficulty. It is a difficult subject matter that we're looking at. So much so that I dare say you probably won't find many churches you've ever been in that even address the things we're gonna address. It's a difficult subject matter. My story is as a young kid, I grew up in a church that did not teach these doctrines of grace at all. In fact, taught just the opposite of the doctrines of grace. So I grew up hearing things that seemed very logical and appropriate and good to me until I began to read the Bible. And I began to read the Bible on my own and I began to see texts and I'd say, I don't, I don't get what I'm hearing at church and what I'm seeing in the Bible. So I went to my parents who weren't Christians but went to church faithfully. I said, can you explain this? The Bible says this, but our preacher says that. He said, that's why we have a preacher. You go talk to the preacher. As a young kid, I said, I'm going to do that. So I got an appointment with I don't use his name. He's deceased now, but I won't use his name. But he had his doctorate. He was an older man and very respected. Oh, highly revered in the community. And I said, and Dr. So-and-so, I'm, I'm just concerned. I, 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 I read in the Bible texts like this. And he said, like what text? And I said, well, like Romans 9. And he said, what about that text? I read the text. And he said, oh, son. He said, you know, I've never understood that one either. In fact... I've torn, I've torn that page out of my Bible. Literally, that's what he told me. I tore the page out of my Bible. I don't know what it means, but I know this. It doesn't mean what it appears to be saying. And something happened to me that day. 
I said, "Uh uh-uh, that's that's not the way I see it. And so I began on a search to say, what does it mean? And I'll tell you this, I came to the point as a kid who did not cry enough, but I find myself when alone with God and in his word and I'd start weeping. It bothered me so bad. I say, God, I don't want to believe you're like what I see you saying in the Bible because I don't think that's what I want in my God. And how little did I understand? How little did I understand? I have learned this. You do not learn a good, healthy theology, theology, the study of God. You don't learn it. You earn it over time. And so for so many of you that this is kind of a beginning part for you, good for you. Start the process. It's a learning process. But you have to earn it over hard struggle in God's word. To avoid it would be foolish. So can I give you some advice before I dig into the first one? First of four words of advice, never, never reject something you see in God's word because it doesn't make sense to you. Don't do what my pastor did. Number two, I'd say, don't run from hard. Don't see something that says, man, this is a little bit hard to understand. I don't want that. I want some, I want to go, I want to hear that, which I already understand. And I just need to be reminded. No, you don't. You want to go where you get stretched to see what God's word says, the full teaching of God's word. Number three, bring humility into the theological classroom. When you start trying to study God, come with a humble heart. Don't come with a a pride that says, I know best what I think has got to be right. Don't do that. And then number four, I'd suggest never forget That if your theology, your study of God, if it leads you to a view of God that is very, very low, that pushes God down a bit and raises man up quite a bit, don't ever, don't, don't follow that. I I tell you, it will, it will lead to a sense of pride. It'll it'll lead to a sense of, of, of disobedience in that pride. You don't want that. But on the other hand, if you go to find a theology and the theology raises up God in the appropriate way, lifts him up as the high and holy one and takes mankind in dignity because we're creating the image of God, but puts them in a low position of sinfulness, you find that to be the great marriage of truths that will bring humility to heart and obedience in life. So I just... I just encourage you, Perimeter Church, you be a people who search out the Word of God and push, go deep, don't run from hard. Parents, I'll say this to you. If you want to do your children the greatest favor, don't just make sure they're the best athlete or the best scholar or the most attractive or the most popular. Please don't fight for that to be the ultimate. Fight that your children have a deep-rooted love for God that can only be founded on a very rich, solid theology. Make sure they get good theology. You know how you do that with kids? Children's catechism. I know of no better tool. You can go to our bookstore, find the children's catechism. Man, we are bribing our grandchildren right now with money, big money. 
We say, hey, you memorize Cece, my wife Carol, they call her Cece. Cece will get on the phone and say, okay, and they'll quote the next one. She says, now here's the reward you get for that. And man, we're just saying, make sure, make sure your kids are getting good theology. It'll bless them the rest of their life. So here are the doctrines of grace in five summary statements. And we're going to look at these over the three weeks. Number one, God's grace is essential. We look at that today. Next week, we look, number two, God's grace is sovereign. And then the third week, we'll look at these three. God's grace is particular. God's grace is irresistible. And God's grace is irretractable. Essential, sovereign, particular, irresistible, and irretractable. These first four here, these first four are going to rub right across the grain of human logic. The human logic will not accept it at first, at first look. It just doesn't feel right. That's why I wept. I cried. I said, no, 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 I don't like this. Not what I want theology to be. And then something happened, and I began to understand these things. Oh, I love this last one. You can't lose your salvation. But then I learned this. You can't have number five without the first four. And I realized that, and it's, I found it in all of God's Word, and I'm telling you, and I'm saying this with integrity and truth, something came alive in my heart that took me to a depth and a reality of God and His love that I would never have experienced, I'm convinced could never experience without these great truths that drove my heart to that place. And so I encourage you, if you think that what you're hearing in these three weeks is something radical something unorthodox, something that's, that's somewhat uh, maybe a minority report, let me tell you, you're wrong. Let me just read through a list, and I call this down to just a few, of the greats, the hall of famers of the faith through the ages. This is the majority report through the ages. People such as Augustine, Luther, Calvin, Knox, Bunyan, Owens, Edwards, Newton, Whitfield, Spurgeon, and more recently, people like Sproul, Piper, and Keller. Let me read a quote from Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher. Most Baptists today would probably not embrace their heritage as a teacher such as Spurgeon in the Baptist religion at that time or denominations. Let me, let me just read what he says. He says, I've known men to bite their lip and grind their teeth in rage when I've been preaching the sovereignty of God. The doctrinaires of today will allow a God, but he must not be a king. So now, the first of the statements, God's grace is essential. So let, let's talk about what does that mean? God's grace is essential. It's not merely helpful. It's not some, it's important. Most agree that it's very important for one's salvation, that you can't have salvation without grace. So that's not, the, that's not the real question. The big question is this, to what degree do we believe that God's grace is essential? I like absolutely essential, totally essential, partially essential? That's, that's the big question that people ask. And that's where people differ in their theologies. I journaled a thought. I want to read it to you. It simply says this. A person's view of their sinfulness will impact their understanding of the means necessary for their salvation. Read it one more time. A person's view of their sinfulness 
will impact their understanding of the means necessary for their salvation. So let me just address the elephant in the room, all right? Shouldn't use the word elephant today for me, I guess. <laughs> probably in the 40 years of my teaching ministry, it's probably been the number one pushback, if not criticism, of my teaching ministry. I will probably get responses from this message. I'll hear things like this, uh, you speak too much about the sinful condition of men. You say something like this, I, I know I'm a sinner. I don't need to hear about that. All I need to hear is the love of God for me. Please quit telling me what a sinner I am. 19th century Anglican Bishop of Liverpool one of the greats of that whole century. J.C. Ryle, this is what Ryle says. He says, there are very few errors and false doctrines of which the beginning may not be traced up to unsound views about the corruption of human nature. Wrong views of a disease will always bring with them wrong views of a remedy. So very true. The corruption of human nature. There's another word we use for that, if you hear it. Uh, it's the word total depravity. Doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be. But what it does mean is that we truly are in our whole person sinful. That our sin extends to our whole being, every aspect of us. D.A. Carson, many of you wouldn't know his name. But in any theological circles uh, today, uh, he would be a name very highly recognized and so respected. D.A. Carson, uh, being a man older, maybe like myself when he wrote this, my age, he was dealing with what's called the emerging church. It's the young church today that's coming up today. And so he wrote a book that was entitled Becoming Conversant with the Emerging Church, and he quotes one uh, a man that uh, was kind of in the leadership of the young church and its beliefs that was heralding this idea of just talk the grace of God. Don't talk about the sin of man. The man's name, Mike Yacanelli, uh, I think is the way you pronounce his name. But this is what this Yacanelli says. We don't have to talk about sin. It's a given. What we are longing for is simply the good news. And in that book, Carson comes out to say, no, 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 same thing I'm saying. Please, please, please don't go there. Don't think that way. It's not correct. Today's problem is not that we talk too much about sin and our sinfulness. That's not it. We don't believe the, what I'm going to call the extent of our sin. That's the real issue. So we understand it. And folks, none of us really fully comprehend the extent of our sin. Let me put it this way. Parents, if you want your kids to eat good food, the answer is not to tell them the great benefits of eating good food and why they'll enjoy it. It really does taste good. And you've been there and done that. And they say, I look at it, I don't like it, I don't want it. You let them get hungry enough? They'll like that food. <laughs> Jesus, talking to the sinful woman in Luke 7, 
said these words. He says, to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Folks, here's the problem in the church today. We don't understand how big our forgiveness is. And that's why we don't love our God the way we should. That's why the love of the church has diminished so much in years. We used to have this high view of God and this view of man that said, oh my gosh, look what you've given to me, God. Look what you've given to me. And we just cry out to God and say, thank you. God, be glory to you. And we begin to serve him and love him. And now something's happened. And it's through our teaching, it's gotten like this. And now, oh yeah, God's bigger than me. But whoa, 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 why would you let that happen to me, God? Oh God, don't I deserve better than that? And how could you, God? Don't you understand? And that's our thinking. That's our feeling today. And our younger generation is just being absorbed in this thought. You're loved, you're loved, you're loved. Well, I'm not loved either because look what happened in my life. They don't even understand the extent to which any goodness of God cannot be described with understanding when you see the condition of our heart as it really is. And okay, maybe we do know. We do know that we're sinful. Maybe we've heard that before. Maybe we've heard it over and over again. And therefore we say we don't need to hear it. Let me tell you this. When you say all I need to do is hear how much I'm loved, I want to ask, have you not been told how much you're loved? But don't you need to hear it over and over and over again? Absolutely we do. The two have to go together. So let me just very quickly explain this doctrine. Scriptures describe mankind as spiritually dead, bound to sin, spiritually blind, spiritually deaf. Listen to these scriptures, three of them, beginning with Genesis 6, 5, very beginning of God's word. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Let me look secondly at uh, Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. We don't want to believe that today. We want to think we kind of grow into sinfulness. No, 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 no. It's who we are. Look at Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, it says, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is no one who does good. There's not even one. You see, that's why Jesus, when he came along in his teaching ministry, he gets approached by this person and says, hey, good teacher. And he says, good teacher, why do you call me good? Here's what he's really saying. You don't believe that I'm God. You don't believe that I'm the son of God. You have no idea. You don't believe that. Why would you call me good? Do you know that there's, there's only one that's good, and that's God himself? Man's not good. I, I don't know the number of the hundreds of people that I've asked the question. If you can give me the answer to these four, please do. Which would you say, in your opinion, best describes man? Some of you heard me use this. Man is good, man is good with a little bad, he's bad with a little good, or, or he's just good. He's bad, he's good. We're, well, everybody says the same thing. I just was with a group of, of people kind of seeking to understand spiritual things, probably about 15 or 20 of them. Business leaders in the community and just said, I want to kind of figure out Christianity. And so I said, okay, I'll help you. It's about a week or two ago and I'm, I'm sitting there and I said, what would you say collectively? I gave them the four options. 
I knew what they would say. They all agreed, man is good with a little bad. I said, there's the problem right there. Until we get a hold of the fact that no, we're not good with a little bad. We are bad. We'll never really appreciate and understand this great grace of God. Never understand it. We have to ask ourselves, can dead people raise themselves? Can bound people loosen themselves? Can deaf and blind people, can they heal themselves? No, because in deadness, we're dead. His inability to procure his own salvation is total. That's confusing. It's confusing and it doesn't seem logical because of this whole issue of relative goodness. And some of you, many of you that have been part of Perimeter, you've heard this, but so many new people and people who listen to this online, just so you understand, it's the illustration that I've used so often about, about my growing up with a grandfather who had a funeral home and seeing dead people all the time. They bring in somebody who just died, who was young, healthy looking and so forth, and just now died. And I look and I say, he looks asleep to me. Doesn't look like anything's wrong, yet he's dead. Then they bring in somebody that's been found in the woods from two, three months previous. Their body is decayed. The stench is beyond imagination. You look at that and you go, ah, and then you ask which one is most dead between those two men. Well, they're equally dead. And some of us, because we are in the outward sense, relatively good, yes, but dead in our sin. And so when we come to the next doctrines, you're going to see that only to you understand this idea of our deadness in our sin will we understand what it took to make us come alive. And then when we understand what it took to bring us to life, oh my goodness, we begin to just scream the praise of God for what he's done. That's why this is so very, very important. So let's now, in light of that, let's read Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 1 through 9. This is what it says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, or by nature children of wrath, even as the rest and God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, and I'm going to hold the slide here, but God, don't ever forget, the but God. You couldn't paint a more desperate picture of mankind than Paul has done there. And then he says, but God. It's not but man and God. No, no, no. It's but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, and the words made us alive, there's that which is active and there's that which is passive in the Greek language. In this language, we're made alive. We're passive. God is the active one. It means that we don't do anything. He does do something. He makes us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches 
of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. With that, I bring the teaching to a conclusion. How many of you have heard of Jack Miller? Jack Miller, one of the great saints of the past generation. One of the greatest quotes of all time. I love it. You've probably heard me say it before. This is what he says. Cheer up. You're a much worse sinner than you ever dared to imagine. And you're more loved than you ever dared to hope. Folks, don't separate those two. Don't forget either one of them. Don't harp on, oh, look what a sinner I am. At the same time, don't ever forget how much more loved you are than you ever dared. But don't just think about that. You will not understand this until you get this. And you'll never fully understand this. In fact, you'll never fully understand or comprehend either. It's just life. I, I know that there are many of you here that are older than me, but there are a lot of you that are younger than me. And I'll promise you, younger folks, this is what happens. As you begin to go in your Christian life, you think, oh, you know, I'm, a, uh, I'm, not, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And then you get older, and guess what happens? You see your sin deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, and you get more convinced what a wretched person that I am. Do you understand that the Apostle Paul, at the very end of his very life and ministry, he says, I am the chief of all sinners. Oh, come on, Paul, you couldn't be the chief of all sinners. You're the Apostle Paul. Oh, no, no, no. Because of the depth he had gone, he saw his sinfulness, as most of us will never see our own. Don't ever, don't ever run from running into the depth of seeing your sin. Because only to that degree do you see the glory of His grace. Only then do you ever come to the place that you say, yes, look what you did for me. Why would you do that for me, God? But no, we want to run from it. We want to say, ah, I'm not that bad. Just tell me, tell me I'm loved. Well, of course you're loved because you're pretty and you're nice and you're moral and you're good. No, we're a bunch of sinful people. And that is good news to us because of the grace of God we'll see his love so big. And as a result of that, we'll love him so much. Why would we choose to run away from hearing how bad we are? You'll never see the glory of God that way. I'll put it this way. Do you realize that, do you realize how much you and I, Christian, are loved? Here just maybe what we should do. Imagine the most possible. Just try to imagine, what's, the most, what's the, the most love even imaginable? Just think about it. Then do this. Then why don't you double it? And then take that, and why don't you triple it? And then at that point, at that point, just realize that you're still infinitely far from any kind of comprehension. I mean, think about it. What kind of crazy love? What kind of crazy love? Does it take for someone to give their own son to die for traitors as vile, disgusting, 
and godless as you and me. It's incomprehensible. So why does he do it? I don't know. Because of his great mercy with which he loved us. That's all it says. But God, why? Why would you do that? I know it's for your glory. And I know this, the deeper I see my sin, the more I see your love. And the more I see your love, the more I love you. And the more I love you, the more you get glorified. Folks, I'm going to beg you, don't you run from hard. Please do not run from hearing how sinful you are. You run to the side of your sin and then never forget how much you're loved. It's incomprehensible. Seeker, would you like to receive that love? Simply by bowing the knee before him, bowing the heart and saying, oh God, I don't deserve it, but would you give it to me? That's the cross of Christ. It's the cross of Christ. And people say, oh, we don't hear enough about how much God loves us. You're not listening to the story of the cross every week I preach because that is the love of Christ. You want to see his love? It's incomprehensible. The best shot you're ever going to get at seeing it is just staring at the cross for a few minutes and thinking, and he would do that for me? That's the greatest love of all. Christian, would you like to say thank you for the love of God? It's a crazy love. It's beyond imagination. Pray together. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you and thank you for a love incomprehensible. And Lord, forgive some of us for running away from things that don't make sense and don't make us initially feel good. I pray that we would be a, a body here at Perimeter that would just literally run to the truth. Embrace it regardless of whether it makes sense or not. If we see it clearly taught in your word, I pray that that might be our case. And as a result of that, as Christians, we would say to you right now, thank you for your great love. Thank you for the cross. And Lord, let me see my sin that I may see your great love and love you more. Father, thank you for such a great forgiveness. Father, for our friends here that would say, if that's true, I want that. Would you open up their hearts right now and let them bow, bow the heart right now and say, Lord, forgive me for claiming my own goodness. And in light of my sinfulness, would you now show me your unbelievable crazy love? And we thank you for it. Come into hearts now. Change them forever, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.